want you to imagine for a moment that one of you, perhaps this summer, after an evening service, were to invite all of us out to the back parking lot. And when we got there, you were to pull out of the back of your car a very large trunk. And as you opened the trunk, we saw that there were all kinds of there's just a, a great deal of cash in there, hundred dollar bills. As you pulled out the hundred dollar bills in packs, you explained that there were there was about twenty thousand dollars in that trunk, and you began carefully stacking up that twenty thousand dollars in hundred dollar bill denominators. And you were to make a little kind of teepee or a little kind of fire pit. And then you were to set it ablaze, and you were to explain that this was the offering that you were making to God that day. You felt like it was the sincere act of your worship to take $20,000 and to set it ablaze. Now I want you to imagine what the rest of us would be experiencing at that moment of time. I would be asking Dave McKean to check your tithe uh, tithes and offerings in recent days. No, I'm kidding. We don't do that here. Some of us would be looking completely confused, and some of you would probably be a little bit indignant. Because I think all of us have the idea that taking $20,000 and setting it literally on fire until it is nothing seems like a really big waste. And now you're probably in the position that the disciples were in, in Matthew chapter 26. When a woman took an alabaster box of spikenard, I don't know that any of us have ever dealt with spikenard, but pure nard. It's a plant, a honeysuckle kind of plant that grows in the, the, in the Himalayan regions actually at significant altitude, I learned, between, I think, six and 13,000 feet above sea level. And it is precious. And historically, it was precious because it produced a kind of oil that was very fragrant. This was pure nard. And she had a box of it. This may have been a family heirloom. It was something of substantial value. How much value? We're going to see tonight it was worth close to $20,000 in our modern currency. And she took that box, Scripture says, and she broke the neck of it, which means she not only lost the ointment, she lost the presumably precious case in which it was in. And then she took the entire thing. It was about the size, I understand, of like a can of Coke. It was about the size of it. And she poured all of it over Jesus' head. $20,000 gone like that. And the only residue was in the smell that lingered. Now I want you to ask, if you had been there with Jesus' disciples, would you have been answering, asking, I'm sorry, asking any different question than this? Why was this waste of ointment made? Why? This is a waste. The more surprising thing is not that the disciples asked that, that, that they responded like that. It's how Jesus responded. Leave her alone. Don't you dare criticize her. 
Why? Because notice what he says. For she has wrought or worked a good work upon me. The simple point tonight is that when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, practicality isn't always the point. And when we have a relationship toward Jesus Christ, the one who is, as Scripture tells us, precious to us, when our relationship to Him is rooted in practicality, what is practical on the one hand or what seems impractical on the other hand, we're missing the point of what a relationship is. And I think we get a picture of that even this week in a little holiday called Valentine's Day. The title of the message tonight is simply when practicality isn't the point. When practicality isn't the point. And I want us to notice, first of all here, what I'm going to call an impractical act. An impractical act. We should just be very clear about this. What this woman, who we understand, is Mary. Mary is the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus, the man that Jesus raised from the dead and we read about particularly in the book of John. This was an entirely, I shouldn't say entirely, it was a significantly impractical act. It was impractical first because, as I said, it was extremely costly. Now, there are three different accounts of this story in our gospel record. There is the record here in Matthew 26. There is the record in Mark chapter 14. And there is the record in John chapter 12. Now, don't get confused. There is a different story told in Luke chapter 7, where a woman similarly pours alabaster over Jesus. But they're different stories. This one took place closer to the end, right at the end, actually, of Jesus' earthly ministry, just days before he died. It happened in Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 6, there is an account in the early part of Jesus' ministry that occurs in Galilee. These are two separate events. So don't get confused there. The three events that we're talking about in Bethany are recorded in Matthew, in Mark, and in John. And we understand that in John, uh, from John and from Mark's account, that the disciples tell us how much this was worth. They said this could have been sold for 300 pence or 300 denarii. Denarii was the Roman currency of the day. And typically, one day's wage for an ordinary worker would be one denarius. So you can kind of tell here, we're dealing with just ordinary and ordinary currency, 300 days wages, which is what? Close to a year's worth of work. Now to calculate that into our kind of modern understanding of currency, if you were just to take the, the minimum wage and you were to multiply that out by 40 hours in a week, and by 52 weeks in a year, and then you were to, to prorate that to 300 days of wages, you would get to about $18,000. This was, again, a good estimate was $18,000 of a family heirloom that this woman had, that Mary, who Jesus had raised her brother, Lazarus, from the dead. She 
had this kind of precious substance. It was extremely costly, but notice also it was extremely final. There was nothing more that she could do with that perfume after she poured it out on Jesus' head. It was spent entirely. It's not like having an, uh, uh, an account with money in it and you have interest that's bearing on it and it's reproducing itself. It's multiplying in your account. Once she was done with this $18,000 costly act, there was no getting the perfume back in the bottle. And what's more, it was extremely short-lived. Its life cycle, its effect was so small. She poured it on Jesus' head and the scent filled the room. And as soon as the scent died away, and as soon as Jesus would have washed that from his hair, it was gone. Every part of it was now complete. It was entirely impractical from a human perspective. And that's exactly what the disciples were responding to. Notice, secondly, what I'm going to call their indignant answer. In verse 8, we see here, but when his disciples saw it, they had indignation. They were upset. We talked this morning about what makes Jesus upset. What makes Jesus upset, we saw this morning, was when children are mistreated, when children are hindered from coming to him. What made the disciples upset is they said, to what purpose is this waste? Or literally, why? Why this waste? What's going on? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. 300 days wages, $18,000. What could we do with that from a practical purpose? In other words, what was their logic here? This wasn't practical. It could have been placed or put to a different use that was more practical. Now, again, this logic in and of itself is not wrong. Jesus has been living a life that is devoted to serving the poor, to meeting the needs of those who are isolated and alone. He has been telling them the importance of serving. What have we been learning through our study of the Gospel of Mark? Jesus' theme that he comes back over and over to is, it, if you want to be great, you have to be last of all and servant of all. That's what it is to be great in my kingdom. And so you can just imagine the disciples, okay, I, I'm finally starting to get how Jesus is thinking here. And certainly Jesus, who lives to serve people, lives to meet their needs, certainly he didn't want $18,000 of perfume being poured over his head in a, single, in a single instant. Certainly he wanted this to have a, a practical purpose for it to be placed to. Their logic from that perspective seems pretty sound. But notice what their question was. Their logic was this was impractical, but their question starts to get to the heart of the matter. To what purpose is this waste? Why this waste. Now, I want us to notice something about what they were saying, not only about what this woman did, but what they were saying about Jesus. Because I want you to put yourself in the woman's shoes for just a moment. Her brother had just recently been raised from the dead. Jesus had done it. Mary was the person that we read about in Luke chapter 10. You remember the story of Mary and Martha, and we always kind of 
distinguish between Marys and Marthas and those who are all about practical service and work and all those who are about sitting at the feet of Jesus. We shouldn't really distinguish between Marys and Marthas because really there are just times to be Mary and there are times to be Martha. There are times to be practical and get work done. And there are times to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen and soak in his teaching. All of them. There's not what one is, is always better or is always what God has for you in the moment than others. But Mar Mary was the one who we know had this time when Jesus says, I'm not going to take away what is the right thing for Mary to be doing right now. She had this kind of relationship. What would have been going through her mind? Well, Jesus may have given us an idea. Notice what he says in verse 12. After saying, for ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always, he says, for in that she has poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Now, did Mary know what she was doing? We don't know for sure. But I do wonder if her time sitting at the feet of Jesus had caused her to understand something that not even Jesus' disciples fully had understood. If she really, in a way that she didn't fully understand, knew about the impending death of her Savior and was coming to identify with that death in the most, in her mind, practical way. She was coming to demonstrate to Jesus the value that she placed on him. The worth that she ascribed to him when she said, this $18,000 of value I have pales in comparison to the love I have for you. And so she broke it. And so she poured it all out in an instant, no matter how impractical it might appear. And to Jesus, this was a good work. You see, on the other hand, the disciples looked at it, and all they could see is, why? Why? I don't think they would have said this. But doesn't it really come back to this question? Is Jesus, was Jesus really worth $18,000 to them? Was he really worth that waste? In other words, what we can see here from the disciples, this kind of practicality that they brought to this kind of action was, a, was, was perhaps a defect in their own affection for Jesus in a way that Mary put them to shame in her practical love for him. And I simply want to make this point. When it comes to relationships, practicality really isn't the point, is it? Do you know what's very impractical? A diamond engagement ring? That's really impractical. Unless, I don't know, maybe you need to break a small plane of glass or something like that. You need, you, you need to punch it out. It's really impractical. In fact, I was reading this. Do you know, apparently, an, a, a diamond ring loses about 50% of its value the moment you buy it. When some people, a, 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 very, uh, a very slick diamond salesman tells you it's a great investment, it's a great, it may be a great investment for your spouse. It may not be a very great investment for, for your pocketbook because you can't resell it for what you bought it for. What's the point of the engagement ring? Is practicality the point? Of course it's not. 
Because what you are buying is not measured in dollars and cents. It is measured in the message you are sending to someone that you love. Are flowers very practical? Well, in the sense of an economic standpoint, not at all. They wither in a really, really quick period of time. And there they are, and they need to be taken out to the trash or to the compost heap. From that perspective, flowers are not at all practical. And yet ask your spouse if you have a spouse that appreciates flowers being bought, if they are practical to her. And the answer almost certainly is, yeah, very much so. I was talking about this with Tabitha. She did say, I'll just let you know, chocolate, she said, are very practical because they're an immediate mood booster. Okay, so guys, just remember that. If you're an immediate mood booster, that chocolates might indeed be practical. But again, what's the point? In relationships, practicality isn't the point. Because something may not be practical, but it may be personal, and therefore it's profitable. What did these disciples miss? They missed in their, in their priority on practicality. They missed what this woman was expressing about who Jesus of Nazareth was to her and what, she had, what he had done for her and for her family and what she was doing out of worship for him and what would be coming in front of him. Listen to how Jesus brings this out. He says, why do you trouble the woman? For she has wrought a good work upon me. He knew that it wasn't practical in a human sense, and yet it was entirely personal, and therefore it was profitable. He goes on to say, notice the next verse, verse, for ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. He wasn't dissing the poor. He wasn't telling us we shouldn't take care generously and even extravagantly of those who have a need in our world. He was saying, this one is about a personal relationship and connection with me. See, what did these disciples miss? In their desire for practicality, they missed the kind of personal love that Mary of Bethany had for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus accepted it and praised it by saying, he says in verse 13, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached um, in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. Even to this day, 2,000 years later, we are still talking about this extravagant love that this dear woman bestowed on her Savior. What a wonderfully impractical and yet entirely profitable act that this woman made. But I want to make one more point here and why we've continued on reading into verses 14, 15, and 16. Because if you go on to the point of John chapter 12, you see there was a ringleader in the one who was calling out with indignation about this waste. Who was it? It was Judas. It was Judas Iscariot, the accountant, the treasurer of the group, who looked at this act and said, this is a waste. It could have been sold for 300 pence. It could have been given to the poor. And here's what John identifies. He didn't do that because he cared about the poor. He cared about it because he held the bag and he was a thief. I want you to stop there for just a minute. You had 11 disciples 
whose priority on practicality, whose focus on the practicality of this act represented a kind of perhaps lack of affection for Jesus. But what about Judas? His criticism, his indignation, reflected not just a lack of affection for Jesus, but a complete alienation from him altogether. A heart that was completely bound up in what he thought was practical, which was money. In fact, how do we know that? Because look with the passage here in, in, in verse 14 of Matthew 26. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will ye give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. How much was thirty pieces of silver worth? We don't know for sure. A reasonable estimate would be a couple thousand dollars, maybe a little bit less. Here's a guy who looks at $18,000 that this woman was bestowing on Jesus and gets mad because he says, how dare you pour that over Jesus? And then he turns around and in this heart that is captured by greed, entirely alienated from Jesus of Nazareth, he goes to make a buck on betraying him to someone else. Think about this sobering assessment, at least for me, as I reflected on this passage this week. It's third what I want to call here an individual assessment. An individual assessment for all of us. The first point is this. Practicality is not wrong. Practicality is not wrong. It is not wrong to desire at times to be practical. And I say this because I wonder for some of us when we look at this action that Mary of Bethany took, this extravagant act of love, we say, I don't have any ability to do that. We look around at our life and say, what is extravagant about what I can offer Jesus, about what I can do for him right now? I don't have that kind of money. I don't have that kind of or well, perhaps if you're looking at time, I don't have that kind of time. I don't have that kind of resource to be offering to Jesus. What can I do? And we can feel overwhelmed. No, practicality is not wrong from a biblical perspective. But my simple point tonight is that practicality isn't always the point. That our relationship with Jesus Christ is not, is not measured in whether we can do a careful cost-benefit analysis from a human perspective about whether it makes sense or not. It means that the relationship of love and affection that we have for Him, just like we have for a spouse, means that sometimes practicality isn't the priority. Practicality isn't the point. Let me say it this way. For people who are extraordinarily busy, is it practical from a human perspective to get up and spend the first 30 minutes, an hour, longer, with God in reading your Bible and praying? From a human perspective, a strictly human perspective, you say, that doesn't sound very practical. And yet the one who has a deep love and affection for God may say, I don't care whether it's practical or not. I don't care in this time whether it seems to others like it might be a waste because this is my love for him. 
it may not seem practical at times to give generously with our money. It may not seem practical at all times to come and pray when it's inconvenient with God's people. It may not seem practical at all times to, to act in certain ways in service toward him. And yet sometimes practicality is not the point. It is the, uh, it is the, the reflection of my personal love for Jesus and for what he has done for me. 1 Peter chapter 2 has some words that I think are challenging to me and I hope will be challenging to us. Peter says in chapter 2, he quotes the passage of the, of the Old Testament that says Jesus is laying in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. And this is what Peter says, unto you that believe, he is what? Unto you that believe, he is precious. Precious. And I want you to think about the relationship that you have with Jesus of Nazareth. The relationship of affection. The relationship of love. That is not always measuring out your time with him in a cost-benefit analysis. But is simply... The respond, a responding out of love and affection to say the practicality is not always the point when it comes to my relationship with him. And I want to give us a caution as we look at our own hearts today. My question is this. For the, for the disciples, for some of them, their practicality here was a reflection of a lack of affection we know that because only hours later, some of these disciples couldn't even stay up and watch with him for an hour. Their, their spirit was willing, but their flesh was weak. All of them abandoned him and ran. Even Peter himself denied him. But for Judas, it was even more. His practicality was not just a lack of affection. It was a cloak for his own complete alienation from him. My question for you tonight, my encouragement for you is not to try to guilt trip you, is not to try to put a mountain of guilt on you and you sh your love for Jesus should be more extravagant than it is now. No, as I said, there are times when we are to be practical. I, I think of what Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 7 when he's distinguishing between the married and the unmarried. Listen to what he says. He said, he that is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married cares for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. Do you notice he doesn't criticize the married person for trying to please his wife? He doesn't say, how dare you? You should be more impractical. You should spend more time with God and less with your wife. He doesn't say that. And he says the exact same thing to those unmarried wives. There are practical considerations that we are called to when we are called to different things. I'm not trying to heap on you the guilt to say you need to be more impractical. My question is this. When we think of our resources that can be spent for God, our time, our treasure, our talent, are we exclusively thinking about it in terms of practicality? Are we exclusively thinking about, well, if I spend more than 15 minutes with God tomorrow, then 
XYZ, practicality, practicality, practicality. Are, in other words, is our relationship with Jesus actually a relationship? Or is it just a series of practical day-to-day -day habits that we've just put in and we're just going to let it ride from there and hope that it's enough? These disciples looked at this entirely impractical act and couldn't get over its impracticality. This woman looked at an impractical act and said, practicality isn't always the point. Sometimes it's about the expression of my personal love. And for all of us this evening, on this Valentine's Day weekend, let's assess our own thought process when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. And let's make sure that our relationship with him is one of the kind of affection that realizes that practicality isn't always the point.